Well, that's been wonderful, hasn't it? I tell you, you've already gotten your nickels worth this morning, so I don't need to do anything. Omni Magazine sponsored a contest to recognize the most creative scientific theories. And the grand prize winner proposed when a cat is dropped, it always lands on its feet. When toast is dropped, it always lands with the buttered side down. The theory strapped toast to the back of the cat. The two will hover spinning inches above the ground with a giant buttered cat array, a high-speed monorail could easily link New York with Chicago. I think I probably prefer the runner-up, however. It said, in, if an infinite number of rednecks riding in an infinite number of pickup trucks fire an infinite number of shots at an infinite number of signs, they will eventually produce all the world's great literary works in Braille. <laughs> well, they're interesting. Scientific theories are interesting. And there are a number of theories concerning the resurrection of Jesus. What happened? Probably the most common is that the body was stolen. The question would be, well, who stole it? Certainly not the disciples. When Jesus was arrested, they fled for their lives. And to believe that now they have such courage that they come and steal the body that is being guarded by Roman soldiers, I don't think so. There are others who believe that the women went to the wrong tomb. They simply showed up at the wrong tomb. I'm not sure about that. If it were men, that might have happened, but women would have asked for directions. So I don't think that that happened. There's another theory that says that Jesus simply had swooned. He actually was not dead. And when he was in the coolness of the tomb, after a while he revived and freed himself from the tomb. Well, what about all the appearances after the Resurrection. Well, the theory is that there was a mass hallucination. I don't know. If that happened today, it might be plausible. I'm not sure back then that it would. But let's see what the Apostle Paul had to say. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse number 1. Now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which you stand by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep or died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as it were, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. As we look at the resurrection today, what I want us to do is to look at it in past tense, present tense, and then future tense. 
So let's begin by considering the resurrection in a past tense. It's something that happened in the past. It was a historic event that took place. Jesus was arrested. He was tried. He was crucified. And the Bible tells us that his death verified the prophecy concerning the resurrection. In fact, hundreds of years, even before Jesus was born, the psalmist prophesied that he would be resurrected. Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, For thou wilt not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither wilt thou allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. So, hundreds of years then, before Jesus was born, the psalmist prophesied, that he would be raised from the dead, that he would not actually die. Jesus himself prophesied his resurrection. In Mark chapter 9, verse 31, For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. Now, folks, that's a prophecy. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, it was prophesied that he would be raised from the grave, that he would not undergo decay. And that was verified when Jesus rose from the grave. Now, if you looked at our text in verse number 5, he appeared to Cephas, or Peter. Verse number 6, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Verse number 7, then he appeared to James. Verse number 8, he appeared to me also. So the Bible had prophesied that he would be crucified, that he would raise from the dead. And when Jesus did that, then he verified the prophecy. When the women came to the tomb on that first Easter morning, the angel said in Mark 16, 6, You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. Now, here is the verification. He said he has been crucified. No, we know that. I mean, that's a historic thing. He has been crucified. And then he said he has risen. Did you know there is no other religion that claims resurrection for their religious leader? In fact, some years ago, there was a story that began to circulate that the bones of Buddha had been discovered. And so the reputed bones of Buddha began to travel throughout Asia and people would come to see the bones. There was a Christian missionary who was at one of those events, and as he looked at the crowd, he said, if they could find one bone of Jesus Christ, Christianity would fall to pieces. He has risen. He was crucified, but he is risen. He is not here. Well, that's obvious. People who are alive do not reside in tombs. So he said, he is not here. He has risen. Behold where they laid him. Come look at the place. Look where they laid him. Now, folks, I've been in the tomb numerous times. He isn't there. He has risen from the dead. And that's exactly what the angel said to the women who came on that first Easter morning. Come and see the place where he laid. He is not here. He has risen. So 
the resurrection then verifies the prophecies. The prophets had said that he would be raised from the dead, and his resurrection confirms his purpose. So what's the big deal here? Well, he took man's sin. You see, the Bible says that we are all sinners. Now, you don't look like it this morning. I mean, you have your Easter best on. You look nice today. But the truth is we are all sinners in our hearts. The Scripture says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus became the sacrifice for our sins. Isaiah wrote, Surely our griefs He Himself bore and our sorrows He carried. So the Bible says that we all are sinners no matter who we are, no matter how good you are. No matter how religious you might be, the Bible says that we are all sinners and Christ carried our sins and paid our debt. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Now that's the price. That's the cost. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why do we make such a big deal about all of this, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and so forth? Because of what it means. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says that Jesus became our substitute. He took our sins upon Himself. In the Old Testament, there were two goats brought before the priest, and lots would be cast, and one of them would be chosen as the scapegoat. And the priest then would take the scapegoat and lay his hands on the head of the goat, symbolizing the transfer of the sins of the people to the goat. And then the goat would be led out into the wilderness. Jesus became our scapegoat. All of my sins, the Bible says, were placed on him. All of your sins were placed on Him. He became your substitute. He became my substitute. And the Bible says that He carried my sins away. He is my scapegoat. He is our advocate. John wrote in 1 John 2, 1, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so the Scripture says that He advocates for us. We're all sinners. But our attorney is Jesus. And the Scripture says that He advocates for us. And then it says that He is our propitiation. John said he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So he satisfied the law by his death. What is the wages of sin is what? It is death. And Jesus paid for my sin. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid for my sins. He became my substitute. He is my advocate. And he is the propitiation who satisfied the law. Resurrections in the past tense, it, it's something that happened. It is an event that took place. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. It is historic. But then there's the present tense. In the past, He died for us. But you might ask the question, but so what? 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross, and the story is that He raised from the grave. What does that mean to me today? That is the so what. What does it mean? Does it make any difference in our lives today? You know what it means? It means that if we know Him, He is present with us. The, the, the Lord Jesus, who died on the cross, paying for our sins, rose from the grave, and He is present with us, and He conquers our grief. Probably 
the greatest grief most of us face is the death of our loved one. I have talked with two people during this past week who are going through that process of grief. There is the grief that comes when we lose our loved ones to death. My father, my mother, my brother, my sister, and every one of you here has been separated from a loved one by death and grieved as a result of it. You see, that, that's what happens. Our loved ones die, we die, and we are separated from our loved ones, and that causes grief. There's separation. There's also the destruction of our plans. We all have plans. Some of you are planning for retirement. Some of you are planning for marriage. Some of you are planning for college. But you see, when death comes, then those plans are, are all destroyed. And so there's the grief that we deal with. You see, that's the good news of the resurrection of Christ because He conquers our grief. He conquers our grief over death. When Mary came to the cemetery on that first Easter morning, she was grieved until she met the living Lord. Now, when she saw the living Lord, she is no longer grieved because he, took, he takes away our grief. The disciples were grieved when Jesus died on the cross. He was crucified on the cross. They were grieved, but when they saw the living Lord, the Bible says the disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what it means to us. He gives us victory over grief. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4.14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Isn't that good news? You know what that means? If I apply it to myself, it means I'm going to see my daddy again. It means that I will see my mother again. It means that I will see my brother again. It means that I will see my sister again. And it means that you will see your saved loved ones again. That's what it means. Does it mean anything? That Jesus died and rose from the grave? Absolutely it does. Because He conquers our grief. Because He rose from the grave, the Bible says that those saved people will see each other again. He conquers our grief. He conquers our despair. The disciples were despairing when Jesus was crucified. As a matter of fact, I think that Simon Peter probably summed it up for them when Peter said, I go fishing. That was after the, the death of Jesus. I go fishing. In other words, that's what he was when Jesus found him. So I think that Peter is saying, well, I'll go back and do what I was doing before I met Jesus. His life was dramatically changed when he met Jesus, and now Jesus is gone. And so Peter and the disciples are despairing. Some of you are despairing today. I, I know that. I, I know that there are things that go on in people's lives that no one knows about except you. You're facing some issues in your life and no one really shares those with you. And Some of you are just about to despair today. But friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ, the living Lord, gives us victory over despair. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, We are afflicted in every way, but are not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing. The resurrected Lord, He changes our despair and gives us hope. This morning when I was reading in my devotional time, I came across a verse in Psalm 27, 13, where the psalmist wrote, I would have despaired 
unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. That's what God does. Does it make any difference? Is the story, is it just a nice story and we get together once a year? No. It makes all the difference in the world. He conquers our grief. He conquers our despair. He gives us peace and He gives us joy. He conquers our doubts. The resurrected Lord. We all do battle with doubt. Thomas did. You know the story in the New Testament. Jesus rose from the grave and the disciples saw Jesus. But it was Sunday night and Thomas and, and Jesus appeared to them. Thomas wasn't with them. I guess he was a Baptist. They were having services on Sunday night and he didn't show up. And so Jesus appeared and he missed it. And so they told Thomas, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And in John 20, verse 25, Thomas said, Unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas doubted. We struggle with that, don't we? Prayer. I know that we're supposed to pray. But does God really hear those prayers? Does He really? I know if I ask if, if I ask for a show of hands, every hand would go up. But do you really believe that? I read about a little rural church, and the drought was going on. They were farmers, and so they decided they would have a prayer meeting, and and they would pray and ask the Lord to send rain. And so they all got together, and and uh, they were praying. And whenever the pastor came out, he looked at him and he said, "Where are your umbrellas?" Isn't that the way we are really? I mean, we pray, but do we really expect God to answer that prayer? Some of you are praying about things, but do you really expect God? You see, we have doubts. We have these doubts that we deal with. Some of you doubt your ability to do what God has called you to do. Moses did. When the Lord called Moses and said, I want you to deliver my people out of bondage, Moses said, well, Lord, who am I that Pharaoh should listen to me? I'm not anybody. Why should he listen to me? And my friend, I believe that there are some of you and God has called you to something. And you've not done it because you doubt God's ability to do it through you. You doubt his presence. Is he really present with us? We say that. Do you really believe that the Lord is here? Do you really believe the Lord is present with you? Not really. Or we wouldn't do some of the things that we do when we think no one's looking. Do you really believe that He's present? Well, you see, the resurrected Lord conquers our doubts. Thomas, you know, we pick on Thomas. Thomas said, I'll not believe. But then whenever the Lord revealed Himself to Thomas, the Bible says that Thomas fell at His feet and cried out, My Lord. The resurrected Lord conquers our doubts. Our doubts are replaced with faith. What does it mean today that the Lord has risen from the dead? Well, it means that He conquers our doubts. It means that He conquers our guilt. Probably there was no disciple that was more guilt-ridden than Peter when Jesus went to Gethsemane, took Peter with him, and uh, Peter slept. He was a good candidate for a deacon, wasn't he? I mean, he, and I tease these guys because I love them. They're the greatest guys in the world. But he went, now, don't, don't you think that Peter must have thought, had I stayed awake, would things have been different? Would things have been different? Had I stayed awake and prayed? 
And then when Jesus was arrested, and Simon Peter was out by the fire warming himself with the Roman soldiers, the little girl came by and she said, you're, you're one of his, aren't you? He said, I don't know him. Can't you imagine that Simon Peter must have thought, oh, man, had I not denied Jesus, would things have been different? Would they have crucified him had I not denied him? Would, would this have happened had I stayed awake and prayed? I think that Simon Peter must have had, had a lot of guilt that he was dealing with. But you know, the gracious thing about the Lord is that he restored him. You also remember later when Jesus was on the bank of the, uh, of the Sea of Galilee, and he said, you guys, they're out there fishing. Y'all caught anything? And Peter said, that's the Lord. And he came to the Lord, and Jesus said to him, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. In other words, Jesus was saying to Peter, I'm not finished with you. Yeah, you, you, you slept through prayer meeting. You denied me, but I'm not finished with you. There's still work for you to do. Folks, some of you are burdened with guilt. I don't know what it is, nor do I need to know. But I know that some of you are carrying a heavy load of guilt. And you've come this morning carrying that load. Truth is, probably some of you would say, Ah, you know, I haven't been in church since last Easter. I heard this message then. You know, I understand that because that's what I used to do. That was my story. I went to church on Easter. When Linda and I moved from Texas to Oklahoma City, we didn't go to church. It was Easter Sunday, and I thought, well, we ought to go to church. It's Easter. And so I looked in the phone book. I can still remember. I looked in the phone book, and the yellow page is for First Baptist Church. It's on 10th and Robinson. And we're running late because Linda's never on time. And so we're running late, and I'm hurrying. And we get in the car, and we go down there. And when we get down there, we come to 10th and Robinson. I look over to the left, and I see the church. And I think, sure enough, there it is, just like it says in the phone book. We got out of the car, grabbed my daughter Stephanie, and we start down, and I see a sign that says nursery. So we take Stephanie down and put her in the nursery. And then I said, where's the sanctuary? And they pointed me. We go up to the sanctuary. When we get up there, we're a little late. And uh, they're praying. And, or, or they are, they've already started. And the ushers uh, take us in. And it's sort of like this. It's crowded. And they take us in and, and seat us. And, and just as we get in, they start to pray. Well, while they're praying, I'm looking around. I know you're not supposed to do that, but no one told me. So I'm looking around. I was looking at the choir. I was looking at the church and so forth. And then I looked down at the bulletin. They prayed a long time. And I'm looking down at the bulletin. And I saw it. It said, First Lutheran Church. And I punched Linda and I said, We're the Lutheran Church. She said, What are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go find the Baptist Church. If you only go once a year, you know, I, I... I was brought up Baptist. So we got up and go back down. I get my daughter. Walk outside, and the Baptist church is on the other side of the street. And we go over to the Baptist church, and we sit out in the hallway because it's full, and listen to the message. Now, if you're in the wrong church this morning, we're almost finished. You might as well stay now. There's... 
And what I want you to know is that we, we have this guilt that we go through life with, but God's willing to forgive us. God's willing to forgive us. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does it make any difference today that Jesus rose from the grave? You bet it does. He conquers our doubt. He conquers our guilt. He gives us victory because of His resurrection. And then future tense. What does it mean in the future going forward? Trip prayed that a while ago about our hope for the future. Well, it means that we have quality of life promise. John 10.10, I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. My friend, do you know that with Jesus going forward, He will be your security, not your 401k, not your account in the bank, not the contacts and the people you know. It's Jesus. He gives us security. The Bible teaches us that He gives us the strength for tomorrow, whatever we face. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and He sustains me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So what does it mean in the future? Well, it means that He gives me a a quality of life, but also there is the promise of a quantity of life. He promises us heaven that one day we go to be with the Lord. I know that that movie is out now, Heaven is, heaven is Real. I've had people ask me about it. I haven't seen it. I believe that heaven is real and say, well, what about these things? I don't know. All I know is what the travel log says. I've read the Bible, and the Bible says there's streets of gold, gates of pearl. It's going to be beautiful, I know that. People say, well, that's all symbolic. Well, it doesn't matter to me if it's symbolic or not. It's going to be beautiful. And the things that seem to be so precious to us here, they're so common up there, we just walk on them, make streets out of them. It's a place of beauty. The Bible says that it is a place of sinlessness because the curse of sin is removed. So death and all those bad things just passed away. It's a place of service. His servants shall serve Him. When I was a boy, they used to talk about heaven, and I thought, you know, I know I don't want to go to hell, but I'm not sure I want to go to heaven. Sitting up there on a cloud, trying to keep my robe clean, my halo straight, listening to music throughout eternity. I love music, but surely there's something else to do, golf game or something. And then one day I read in the Bible, it says His servants will serve Him. I don't know what we're going to do up there, but I bet Rick's doing something. I bet he's busy. It is going to be wonderful. That is the promise that the Lord has made. And that's what it means. That's what's the resurrection. Quality of life here is we follow Him. And quantity of life in that we spend eternity in heaven. What does the resurrection mean? In the past tense, He died for our sins. In the present tense, He's with us now. And in the future tense, there's the promise of heaven. Clarence was a young man killed in a subway accident. His funeral was held in the Mount Carmel Baptist Church in West Philadelphia. The pastor spent 15 minutes dealing with biblical promises of heaven, future, and so forth. And then he walked over to the open casket where Clarence lay. And he looked at him and said, Clarence, there were a lot of things we should have said to you while you were alive that we never got around to saying. 
I want to save him now. And he began to talk about all the good things Clarence had done. He was a young man involved in the church and in the community, and so he, he talked about all those good things that he had done. And then he said, that's it, Clarence. I've got nothing else to say except good night. And he reached over and slammed the lid closed on the casket. There was a gasp that came from the congregation, and he turned around with a smile spreading across his face. And the pastor said, and I know that God is going to give Clarence a good morning. And the choir rose and began to sing, on that great getting up morning, we shall rise, we shall rise. And that is the good news of Easter. On that great getting up morning, we shall rise because he rose and because he lives, we live. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Or do you just have enough religion to keep you from knowing Jesus? Do you know him? It's our prayer today that you know him, that you commit your life to him. Our Father in God, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus who gave his life that we might have life. And Lord, as we go into this invitation, I pray for those who have never come to know Christ, that today they would commit their life to him. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, the choir's going to sing. I'm going to ask you to stand. If you've never committed your life to Christ, would you today? There'll be staff members here to receive you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.